Welcome one, welcome all to another episode of You Press Play Sports. We are back again. This is episode, I believe, 14 or 15. Again, I have lost count. The days are all blending together. Life and time is a flat circle. Nobody knows what's going on. I hear there are dinosaurs. They're, they're finding more dinosaurs. But you know what? Enough of talking about LaMarcus Aldridge and the San Antonio Spurs. We're going to start with FAU baseball. But before we get into that, I want to introduce to my guest, sports editor Richard Pereira, photo editor Eston Parker. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing pretty well. And we're going to start with FAU baseball. The season ended a couple of weeks ago with FAU baseball losing in the conference tournament to Old Dominion. They eventually did not make the NCAA tournament. But freshman Nolan Shanuel made freshman All-America according to Collegiate Baseball. It was freshman All-America team. Nolan Shanuel was second team All-Conference USA and a Conference USA All-Freshman member where he led FAU with 56 RBIs. He had a 343 batting average, 11 home runs, and a 576 slugging percentage. All of those numbers were basically at the top of Conference USA leaderboards. And he also led FAU with 24 multi-hit games. He's the He's, he's one of the only FAU baseball players to make collegiate baseball's freshman All-America team since Mitch Hardigan in 2019, Stephen Kerr in 2014, and Mickey Story in 2005. So Nolan Shaniel enters very exclusive company among FAU baseball with the honors that he just received. Richard, you guys were at Essen, you guys were at the games. What did you guys see from Nolan Shaniel that led to this amazing season? Because it sounds like he wasn't even like a freshman. Yeah, um, it it's an amazing. It has been an amazing, an amazing year for Shanuel. Like to do what he did as a freshman, that there's so much you can say about Shanuel that you, you can pretty much just sum it up by saying he is very talented at at a young age, only starting out his years in college, and to have his first year end the way it did for him. Like it, there's so much uh, optimism brewing from that as he entered once next season starts for him because it's going to be a big year for him every year after his freshman year <clears throat> he'll want to keep continue making improvements and become even more dangerous as a top batting option for FAU yeah and top batting option is definitely where he is right now like I said 11 home runs which paced the FAU Al Eston it's rare that we see a freshman come in with that kind of power I mean, he had a, an extremely impressive season. And when you look at his stats, I mean, he was 11th in the conference in batting average. Also, while I'm looking, Stephen Loden finished second in batting average, so did not realize that. But not to mention, he tied for 11th in home runs. Ironically, he also hit 11 home runs. Um, I mean, he, he you really saw more – overall progression throughout the season which is again really encouraging um and considering the amount of talent that we have going into next season um I think that Shanuel along with BJ Murray will be the anchors of this team for next season so um and we might I mean we have the potential to have dare I say a consensus all-american at some point I mean he has he truly has that potential yeah 
Nolan Shaniel definitely has potential. BJ Murray, Nicholas Tony, all those guys are going to be coming back. And like I said, it's rare to see a freshman come in with that kind of power. And it's only going to get better from here, which is why FAU should have a lot of optimism. FAU fans should have a lot of optimism going into next year's baseball season because all these guys are so young and they're really good right now. Like it's rare that you get a lot of guys that are really good at a young age. I mean, we haven't even talked about Caleb Pendleton who hit four home runs in a game. So, or two grand slams in a game, uh, two numbers. But it's really, it's gonna, like I said, it's gonna be very optimistic. It's a good reason for optimism going into next year's baseball season for FAU. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up being that preseason Conference USA favorite again, because those guys are coming back. The pitching is coming back and they're all gonna be better. So congratulations to Nolan Shaniel from the University Press on your freshman All-America honoree. And there are definitely more coming in the future. Now we move on to the NBA. And before we get started in the second round, I'm gonna let Eston gloat for a little bit because he was the only one on here with enough cojones to predict the Suns beating the Lakers in the first round. So Eston, go for it. Listen, uh, first off, DeAndre Ayton just exploded onto the scene, especially that first game where, if I remember correctly, I think if he missed a shot, he missed like two or three. Um, I think that the, the loss of AD really showed how, honestly, how weak the Lakers are in the interior. I mean, let's be real. Andre Drummond is um, he's not even mid. Um, and it, not to mention too, that the Suns are really showing that they are a real contender. We're seeing it right now against the Nuggets. They absolutely dominated them last night. Um, and one statistic, if I remember correctly, in the first round, obviously against the Suns, this was the lowest scoring series LeBron has had in his entire career. And I understand that, you know, this is the first time he's ever lost in the first round, but the Lakers did not look that good against the Warriors in the play in the play in game. And considering how, just how talented and how explosive the Suns are. Um, if it, Honestly, if, if it wasn't LeBron's team that they were facing, it, it would have been no, I'm almost certain more people would have been on the side of the Suns. Um, and not to mention too, this is the first time the Suns have been in the playoffs since 2010. I mean, they are clearly a legitimate contender for the finals. Um, and right now, if I had to choose, they are my, they are my team to win the finals at this point. And, and even though Chris Paul is dealing with a minor injury, we're still seeing him able to control the floor, really dish out the passes to guys like Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, um, Jay Crowder. I mean, I swear, J Jay Crowder just kind of shows up on whatever team is really good in the NBA. So, um, you know, maybe Jay Crowder is the key to making the finals because he did it last year, and so maybe they'll do it again. But, yeah, I got so much slack you guys and a bunch of other friends of mine who were saying you know how can you go against LeBron I, listen LeBron can only do so much and if he want if the Lakers truly want to 
you know, be a contender and make the finals again, they're going to have to get better besides Anthony Davis. Um, because as we saw, he, LeBron individually cannot carry that team to, to victory, at least in the playoffs. So, um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to see what the Suns can do. You know, I'm, 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 they're my, they're my pick for the finals and let's go Suns. <laughs> I don't know, man, looking at the loss that the Lakers had, the one thing that came away from me is they rushed back this season. Like they rushed it way too quickly and it ended up with a lot of players being injured and you got this happening. You got people calling these teams like bubble frauds. When you realize like the Heat and the Lakers only have like 70 days to get ready for next season. That's a whole lot of time to try and recover from injuries and wear and tear. That's why you had LeBron with the ankle injuries, Anthony Davis with the back and the groin. Those are nagging injuries. It's not like it happens in a freak accident. It's stuff that happens like from wear and tear. I mean, Looking at last year in the bubble, three of the four teams that made the bubble conference finals are out of the playoffs. It honestly makes Nikola Jokic's MVP season and his MVP case a lot stronger that he's carrying that team to the second round of the playoffs. But Jamal Murray's out, torn ACL, because he didn't have enough rest. So I think that's the one thing I took away from the Lakers losing the first round. Also, they're not that good. Like outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis, they have nobody else who can score the ball. Like Dennis Schroeder is not that guy. Um, I don't even know why they paid Andre Drummond. I don't even know what, why they got Andre Drummond. It, he is not it anymore. Um, Kyle Kuzma, yeah, no, no. I see Richard laughing about Kyle Kuzma. Richard, go ahead, go ahead about Kyle Kuzma. I'm pretty sure I checked the percentages, the shooting percentages of Kuzma on the series, and I'm pretty sure it was under 30%. It was terrible. I, there was some, I remember that uh, people used to be, compare Kuzma to Tatum, and we see how bad that aged. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, it, re it really, it really sucks for Kuzma a little bit. Cause he was being compared to Tatum and there's like, Oh, he's better than Tatum. And it's just like, no, no, he's really not. Well, I don't know why we did that, but moving on to the second round of the playoffs. Um, the games have been real. They've either been really good or they've been blowouts, but what is Richard? I'll start with you. What has surprised you so far from the second round of the playoffs? Well, the bucks uh, underperforming. Oh, oh, oh my God. Underperforming is one word that I'd use for it. I would say blasted. Yeah, They've been getting blasted. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what has happened because against the Heat, they look like they couldn't miss a shot. And now they can't hit a three. Bryn Forbes has not been hitting at all. Chris Middleton has reverted back to Detroit Pistons, Chris Middleton. And I was talking with Richard about this before the pod, before we started. You can't miss shots against Brooklyn. They will run you out the gym if you're off. 
because you have to score at least 110 points to beat them. Because you know Kyrie's going to get 30. Kevin Durant had 39 points on 17 shots, which is unreal efficiency. Like, the ma- that math doesn't even add up. The math's not mathing to me. Joe Harris will get you 15. Blake Griffin, oh, I didn't know we'd get this, Blake Griffin. He can dunk again. He can shoot. He can shoot. Blake Griffin is a shooter now. And they're doing all of this without James Harden. At one point in game two, the Nets were up by 49 points. I don't know what – I think Milwaukee's got to be in panic mode. Like, I know it's like, okay, we're trying to – we're feeling it out. They got to go straight into panic mode because if they don't win tonight in Milwaukee, there's a really good chance they get swept. Because, again, they're doing this without James Harden, which is why I understand the hype around the Suns. They're a really good team. They're really fun. But nobody's stopping Brooklyn. Not, not a team is going to stop Brooklyn. The one team that I thought would stop Brooklyn is Milwaukee because they have the guys on defense. But if they don't hit shots, they're not going to win games because I don't think Giannis is the guy who's going to get them up and going with shots because they're playing him so far. They're giving him so much of a gap because he cannot shoot. And then if you foul him, he's going to miss a free throw. He's going to be one out of two. So the Bucs have got to be in panic mode, man. It's looking really bad. Can we talk about that first round series with Dallas and the Clippers for a second? Because it was a good, it was a great series. (laughs) I don't know if it was like a good, it was a good series. It was a great series. But Dude, it was really the Bel Air Academy offense, the Mavericks running. It was Luka Doncic and a bunch of dudes. Yeah. I mean, Tim it would be – Tim Hardaway Jr. did did do well. He he balled out as well as he could. I mean, but um, Bogdan, Bogdanovich, he – dude is massive. But when it, it seemed – he passed the ball out of the paint more often than he would actually shoot, which made no sense to me. I mean, how hard is it to literally – doesn't even have to jump over a defender. It, I, I did not understand that. It's comedic. It's just funny. It's just funny. He just casually puts up a shot when somebody's trying to heavily contest him. It, it's just funny. If we're going to talk about the Mavericks and what went wrong in the playoffs, we have to start with – Okay, in seven games, Christos Porzingis had four rebounds, four rebounds, three rebounds, five rebounds, six rebounds, five rebounds, and 11 rebounds. You are seven foot three. You are the tallest player on the floor. What are you doing? You are, he's a seven three jump shooter. He has stretch. Not even a stretch. He he would be better off if he was 6'10 instead of 7'3. Because he doesn't play like a big man. He's a tall man. There's a difference between a big man and a tall man. Hardaway averaged more points than Porzingis did. 
17 to 13. Exactly. And you expect more from that guy because you're paying him so much money. But what the Clippers did is they got physical with him. They wouldn't let him get comfortable. And that's been the whole MO for Porzingis. Don't let him get comfortable. Get physical with him because he's seven foot three and a jump shooter. Like, yeah. I understand there are reports that he was like one more of a role. He wanted to be this, the real like star, but dude, go rebound. <laughs> Do something. And he's a liability on defense too because he can't move. They would switch onto him and just have Kawhi or Paul George go right past him. I don't know what they're going to do with Porzingis. Nobody's going to take that. Nobody's going to take that contract in a trade. They're stuck with him. Tim Hardaway Jr. is the only benefit from the trade. It was a Tim Hardaway Jr. trade. And even then, he's a free agent. They're going to have to pay him. They have a max slot for a player. What player are they going to try and sign a free agency to help Luka Doncic? Because he can't do it by himself. Yeah. I think he scored or assisted on like nearly like 70% of the Mavericks points in game seven, which is an absurd usage rate. And Luka Doncic is phenomenal. But you can't win games having one guy who can dribble and one guy who can shoot. You need another guy who can dribble, at least. Outside of like Luka Doncic, they have nobody who can dribble. Like, they're, it's really bad. And they have the max free agency slot open. I think they're gonna try to get a free agent. Honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing DeMar DeRozan in Dallas just because it would get Porzingis some more space. But option, I'd see that, yeah. But Porzingis, man, what are you doing? He's relegated to third option at 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 at, at best he's a third option. You can't have him as where he is at this point. In his career, he's a third option. But enough of talking about the Mavericks who are out of the playoffs. Um, the team that surprised me the most, I'm going to say is the Suns, man. I knew they were good, but dude, they have been blowing Denver out. And their style of play has been so fun. Like, I think last game, um, they beat Denver by like 30, but nobody on their starting five had over 20 points. Yeah. Chris Paul has 17 points, 15 assists, and no turnovers. Again, point God, Chris Paul. Devin Booker continuing to be that guy in terms of main scoring option. But DeAndre Ayton has played phenomenal for two straight series, stonewalling Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond, then getting Nikola Jokic, like, uncomfortable. And that's like the MVP of the league the rightful MVP of the league. I know people are saying like Chris Paul should have won MVP. No, no, Luka, not Luka. Nikola Jokic is the MVP. That's, that's going to be a thing. So the Suns have really impressed me. Well, to bounce off of that, uh, I did watch, I did watch game two. And it was just a flat, it was just, in a, 
Phoenix just outmatched Denver. Like, mm-hmm. The ball movement was crisp, especially with CP3 on the floor. Like CP3 was pulling out, out all the handles and making all the right plays. And with no turnovers, with the minutes he played, it, it, he still got it. There's just n- no debate about it. And <laughs> even actually explain, Phoenix is just uh, out outmatching uh, Denver so far. I mean, and Denver looked like they just gave up last night at one point. I mean, once when they put in JaVale McGee, that that was when it was like, okay, like that's when you know you're calling it in. Um, I mean, and looking at their stats, M- Michael Porter Jr., three for 13 on his shots. Aaron Gordon, three for seven. Uh, Facundo Campazzo, one for seven. Uh, Monte Morris, one for seven. I mean, you got guys across the board that their starters just that just can't get their shots down at all. Um, and you know, I, I obviously I am I'm quite the Suns Suns. I'm on the Suns bandwagon moment, but I certainly also did not expect this level of a performance by them. I mean, they, not only do they continue to blow out the nuggets, but they've, you know, they've been, they blew out the Lakers. And I mean, uh, they, they have that potential to really, I mean, they've already taken out LeBron and they're about to, you know, take down the MVP at at this rate. I don't see other than Brooklyn. I don't see a team that could genuinely beat them in a series. Now, also, did y'all watch that first game between the Hawks and the Sixers? Oh, dude, man, almost the Hawks are fun. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if they're gonna win this series, but they're so fun to watch. DeAndre Hunter going out for the rest of the season is going to hurt them a lot because he's another wing defender and a guy who can get his own shot. But I think Game Two proved that like Joel Embiid is unstoppable. Hawks were never winning game two. And I think the adjustment Doc Rivers made in putting Ben Simmons on Trey Young, which is what they should have done in game one. Again, I don't think he should have never been beef player year consideration if you're not going to put him on the best player. That's what Ben Simmons does. And he he negates all the stuff that Trey Young does. It's going to be interesting going back to Atlanta for the series because I do think if Atlanta gets hot, Philly's going to be in trouble because outside of Joel Embiid, they don't have a single person who scores. Like, I think at one point in the game, on in game two, outside of Joel Embiid, the Sixers bench at halftime had zero points. They had zero points off the bench, meaning for the Sixers to score, they need to have all their starters in. Joel Embiid notoriously gets injured off of wear and tear. He cannot play a lot, but he has to because he has to be the main scoring option. You know, Ben Simmons isn't going to shoot. Tobias Harris is a good second option, but you can't go back to that bench. And it might be that bench that's their undoing, but I don't think they're going to lose to Atlanta. I think I don't think I, Atlanta's I got it. 
right now. Atlanta will get. I think Atlanta will get one more game. Mm. So I think the series ends in six. I think the series yeah. ends six. But Atlanta got a lot further than I thought they would be this year. But, dude, we're gonna end up uh, the NBA talk talking about uh, the Jazz and the Clippers, dude. Um, the Jazz, the Jazz are a weird team to me. I think they shoot fifty thousand threes. Donovan Mitchell is fantastic, but he shoots a lot. Like he's a vol, he's a volume shooter. And he has to be because nobody else can get their own shot like Donovan Mitchell can. I think Rudy Gobert really, he made a huge impact on the game because the Clippers' plan was to go small. But for the Clippers, I think that was kind of, they were just tired. I know we make a lot of jokes about playoff P, and he was really bad last night. And so was Kawhi. Yeah, playoff P was bad. And I, I deserve this. I said the Clippers were going to make the finals, and then they went and did that. But I do think there's some side effects to playing a game seven where Paul George played 43 minutes and Kawhi Leonard played 46 minutes. They're going to look a lot better in game two. They're probably going to win game two. I still believe the Clippers will make the finals out of the Western Conference. But I think Tyron Lue has to play Terrence Mann a lot more. Um, Luke Kennard is great, but he does not play defense at all. Like, he's really bad on defense. And if you're not going to have Kawhi guard Donovan Mitchell, that's what you bring in Terrence Mann for. He has enough energy, athleticism to at least make it tougher on Donovan Mitchell. But the Jazz, the Jazz remind me a lot, again, of those Hawks teams. In they shoot a lot of threes. They're a lot like the Rockets. They shoot a lot of threes. They have a better defensive presence, but if those threes aren't hitting, it's live by the three, die by the three. And I fear that they're going to go down in flames once those threes stop hitting. But we're going to talk uh, U.S. soccer because the men's team is yeah. back. We're back, bro. I watched. The, uh, I watched the highlights of the Mexico game. Yeah, he gone. Mm-hmm. I watched the highlights of the Mexico game, and bro, I've never felt so much pride in my country. The um, the Horvath save. Yeah, I mean, I I will say like, we've been seeing a progression in this team. Um since the camp opened up the first game that we played against Switzerland before the nation's league run up, I, you know, I didn't really expect too much. And then against Honduras, I mean, that was the, I believe that was the youngest starting team that we've ever fielded. Um, And at first it was a little, it was a little rough. I will say that Honduras game, but um, you know, obviously we, we got through and against Mexico, what was really encouraging is that, when Mexico for, scored that first goal early on, it could have folded. Uh, yeah, I was I was really concerned that we would have fallen back to, you know, not really a, being able to respond. But, um, you know, you saw the goal from Weston McKenney, 
which was a great response. Um, Pulisic is unreal. <laughs> the amount of composure he had lining up for that PK was insane. I mean, we we're, we're starting to really see some development in that team. And what's really encouraging is against Costa Rica yesterday, that, that was not our best team. Nowhere near the best team that we could have fielded. And Mexico struggled against them. They beat them in penalties. We just outright dominated them with pretty much our B team at the moment. And when you look at the roster, when you look at the the, the talent pool, the, the, the player pool that we have, um, this is the first time that I can remember where not only is it not MLS-based, which say what you want, but I, I don't want an MLS-based U.S. national team, you know? Because for a while, I, I think there were a lot of USMNT fans that wanted more of an MLS-based team. But, you know, we're starting to see guys like Tyler Adams, like Weston McKenney, Christian Pulisic, Horvath is in Belgium, Reggie Cannon just moved out to Italy. I mean, we're seeing players all across the board playing in Europe, getting that top tier experience and also winning trophies. You know, it's more than just Pulisic winning Champions League and McKinney winning Coppa Italia. I mean, I can't remember the names, but I know we have a player from Switzerland with BSC Young Boys who I believe scored a goal the other day um, against Mexico. But I mean, he won the league out there. Tyler Boyd out of Besiktas in Turkey won. Um, he won a trophy out there this past season. And getting that experience at the club level and now bringing it over to the national team is huge. And one last point before I forget, coming into this camp, I think there was a lot of pressure on Greg Berhalter to really, um, you know, not only get good results, but ultimately to win. Yeah. Um, because personally, I, I was a little... I wasn't very convinced of him before, not that he's a bad manager or tactician by any stretch, but I just didn't think that he was the, that he could be the guy to really bring us silverware. And, um, well, my point was been proven wrong. And also it's, it's really encouraging that he is giving these younger players the opportunities to start and get that experience. Um, I mean, Serginho Dest, for example, being brought in early on has been amazing for us. I think DK scored a goal against Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. I mean, we – this – I'm not expecting too much. Um, if Assuming we make the World Cup for, gosh, next, next year. World Cup. It, I, yeah, by the time the World Cup is here in the States, Canada and Mexico – I don't want to say that we could win it. Now, granted, some of the players are saying we, we could do it, but I, I'm, I'm starting to have an expectation, a realistic expectation for once, that we can really go far in the 2026 tournament. Um, I, I, I do hope, though, that, this, that, that the reception of the team doesn't get overblown because I, I think here in the States we have a – we have a tendency to be a little too excited about the national team. Yeah. And, and I think that go, going into 
you know, World Cup qualifiers and the World Cup in general. I mean, we can't, we clearly can't us underestimate CONCACAF opponents. Um, and by the time we make, assuming, again, assuming we make that World Cup, we, we have to be realistic and say, okay, if we can make it out of the group stage, that's an accomplishment. Just making the World Cup alone is an accomplishment for us, but that should be the standard, yeah. you know? So um, with this group of players that are so young, we're starting to see the expectations rise, not only from the fans, but also from the players and the coaches, which is very encouraging because we did not have that before besides players like Clint Dempsey and certainly not um, uh, Michael Bradley. But, you know, Pulisic is that Clint Dempsey-esque lightning rod that has been the main, that has allowed us to, that can propel us to the next level. Yeah. And my biggest thing was they scored with two minutes. This Mexico scored with two minutes into the game and they could have folded. I thought they were going to fold. Like this is going to be a blowout, but especially from a young team, but no, they stood in there. They went back and forth and they ended up winning. I thought it was, it was a really good win for a really young team. Um, getting the win over Costa Rica 4-0 and with our B team. And it wasn't just the weight. It wasn't just the score. Winning, it was how they won. Like, it was both sides' total domination. And, again, it's building optimism, especially for a young team that needs the experience. Those those guys realistically are going to be on that team for the world cup. They're going to be on the Olympic team next time the Olympics rolls around. Again, this is the future of us soccer and it's looking really, really good. Like Gio rain is like 18. Mm -hmm. Like he's going to be a star for a long time. Pulisic is 21. McKenney's 20. Tyler Adams is 20. I, I think he's either 20 or 21. Serginio Dest is 18. Josh Sargent's 21 or 22. I mean, and I mean, Daryl Dykes 20. That when you look at the ages of these players outside of guys like Zach Steffen, I think is 24 or 25, or John, and I think John Brooks is 26. It, it is insane how young these guys are and the experience they're getting will re should really help them long term. That'll do it for you, Press Play Sports. We talked a lot about soccer, had a little bit of Wi-Fi problems, talked about basketball. From Richard, who is somewhere in the void of the internet, photo editor Esther Parker, I'm business manager Joseph Picasso, wishing you a great rest of your day.